Hey everybody, welcome back to Studio HFL. I'm Larry Powell, your host for this podcast. I'm glad you're back for another interview. I'd like to let you know that this podcast is made possible by the generous support of my new co-sponsor, Messina Covers. David and Erica design and deliver both high-quality customer service and products, both standard and custom. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And Messina is spelled M-E-S-S-I-N-A-C-O-V-E-R-S. They offer their support through Patreon. Patreon is a funding platform where you can offer your financial support to this podcast, and your help will go towards hosting, production, and marketing fees. There are several tiers of support offered, and you can check out how you'd like to support this podcast at www.patreon.com slash studiohfl, and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can also offer support by providing comments and a rating on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. If you'd like to receive news regarding interviews, new guests, access to Studio HFL merchandise, please subscribe to the newsletter by going to www.powellmusic.net and click on the subscribe to newsletter link. And of course, Powell Music, P-O-W-E-L-L-M-U-S-I-C dot net. And now, on with the interview. Here I am with Ingrid Jensen. So, you're here at the ITG conference. You performed last night. I'm sorry mm-hmm. I missed that concert. It was fun. We had a good time, despite some, some hiccups. Yeah. Some, some uh, <laughs> hiccups from the electronic side. So, how do you deal with that sort of thing? It, uh, well, when it's not my own band, it's a little trickier. So, if it hadn't been my own band, I wouldn't really care. I'd be mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's normal. But because there were so many layers of communication that needed to happen with the big band, they needed to hear me on mm-hmm. certain parts. We didn't have a conductor. Sure. So I'm, in fact, by the end, I gave up on playing, and I just had Alfonso play, and I conducted. Oh, no. Because that's how difficult it was for them to really have the confidence to play well. Right. And so I, you just make a call, like, like a tennis player. you mm-hmm. got to make your moves. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I did okay. Could have been better. If I were not sick and my ears weren't plugged, <laughs> it would have been even easier. You know, when you're trying to hear and you, my ideas are based on listening. They're mm-hmm. not licks. I don't have pre-programmed ideas. Mm-hmm. So if I can't hear, and then all of a sudden it's an extreme either off or too loud, it's a little assaulting, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, call, I call it death by, death by sound system. I'm not going to blame it on the sound man, but it was, yeah. it's just the way it goes sometimes. Isn't that funny? I mean, it, it, you know, they're probably mortified, too, that Oh, yeah, he apologized. The so- I, I, that's the first, too, where the sound man actually came on stage and apologized mm. because... We had a perfect sound check. It's like, this is too easy. Something, Something's <laughs> going to go wrong, I guess. <laughs> and it did. So do you ever find when something goes sideways that um, it somehow makes the performance unique in another way? Have you ever experienced totally. anything? Totally, yeah. That's, last night we changed a lot of things on, this, on the fly because, because of that. It's like I want it to mm-hmm. have to figure out how to, how to play through this. It's like playing through a blizzard, drive through, driving through a blizzard blind. <laughs> It's like, right. I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder if everyone's in this, on the same side of the road <laughs> or if this convoy is going to wreck. Right. So you just trust your instincts as a leader. I lead. I do this a lot. I work with big bands a lot mm-hmm. as a guest soloist. So mm-hmm. it's kind of second nature for me. If you had been there, you would have been cracking up because I'm lefty. So I was playing some major parts while I'm conducting with my left hand oh, Yeah. as I'm facing forward Yeah. because I had to. <laughs> I had no choice. They're just like, 
I felt this tentative thing because of all this drama with the sonic sphere. And it's just like, you know, your arm just goes out and it's like, this way, <laughs> left, so right, I've, straight I've seen, ahead. I've seen circus conductors do that. Maybe there's yeah. a future for you conducting yeah. a circus. <laughs> I, my life is a circus, so. Uh, so a lot of work with big bands. Um, combo work uh, as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah. Also small group stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you have a preference or are you just happy to put the horn up and I mean, go? the big band work I do these days is as a guest artist with you know, high-level college, university big bands, mm -hmm. occasional high school big bands. Um, as a, I bring my music in. I send it to them. They listen to it. And they mm -hmm. play original music. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe one one or two standards from the old book. You know, like I like to do a Thad Jones tune. And I like to also do something like last night we did Ernie Wilkins mm -hmm. on the trail, mm -hmm. which is from the Clark Terry Big Band. So doing older music from the past, but also mm -hmm. linking up those contemporary voices that the, the youth are inspired by. So you mentioned Thad Jones, Clark Terry. Are these major influences, yep. obviously? Yep. Clark and I were very good friends. Um, what an amazing musician. Incredible. Incredible, yeah. Incredible trumpet player. Incredible. And um, this interview is about you, but I'm curious, um, what do you learn from people like that along the way? What did you learn from Clark, or what did you learn from others that you well, played with? Well, I was very lucky. I hung out with a lot of the greats. Um, Benny Bailey, Art Farmer, Freddie Hubbard. Mm -hmm. um, who else did I hang out with that I keep forgetting? Like Jock Cheatham I got to hang out with. When I was <laughs> in New York in the late 80s, early 90s, mm -hmm. and in Europe in the early 90s. Mm -hmm. But um, Clark and Sweets and Al Gray were my main mentors when mm -hmm. I was coming up. And what I learned from them was that they got really excited when I was myself. No, they like got not very trying to copy excited. them or exactly. copy someone else. They got very excited when they mm -hmm. heard my voice coming out. They loved it that I was referencing the tradition and it, that I was coming out of Louis and, and all these places. It's interesting you say that too. And, and I asked, like I said, I asked somebody about the concert last night and they said, you know, it's, she's not like anybody else. Mm. And I take that as a compliment. I, well, I, I heard that as a compliment. You know, it's like uh, an original voice. And you know, Louis Armstrong was had his own voice, and Miles had his own voice, even though they may have copied people in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, is that? Did you intentionally well, develop your your sound like that, or? I that I'm about? I'm a piano player at heart, so and I, I like classical music a lot, and I grew up listening to Louis Armstrong. Those are my fundamentals, and Oscar Peterson. Mm -hmm. So swing combined with melodies, mm. combined with European classical harmony that eventually, because it prepared my ears to get into more advanced <laughs> harmonic situations, um, I think gave me a little more incentive to not just play like my idols, mm -hmm. because each one of them inspired me in a different way. Mm -hmm. So it's like putting all these different spices in the pot, hope it all works, mix <laughs> it up, take one out, add another one. Mm -hmm. And I was very lucky in that way that um, that I could continue more from a vocal point of view with the trumpet, mm -hmm. using my voice to find mm -hmm. the notes I was hearing. And that's simply how I went about it. And I didn't have a lot of trumpet teachers telling me how to play. I mm -hmm. just had pe teachers giving me records. And I'd yeah. play along with those records, and I'd yeah. learn something from one, and then I'd, you know, go on another one. Oh, okay, here's uh, you know, Art Farmer Jim Hall. Here's 
here's Chet Baker, mm -hmm. here's, here's Louie, here's Lee Morgan, oh, here's Freddie Hubbard, oh, Woody Shaw. You know, it's like being prepared to hear all that music and embrace it as a more as a musician than just a trumpet player trying mm -hmm. to cop some licks mm -hmm. was always my approach. How early on are you talking about? What when did you In get my drawn teens. to this? Yeah. Because yeah. I grew up in a house of music, so I was constantly figuring stuff out on the piano on my own. Mm -hmm. um, and then when it came to the trumpet, I just put the records on and played along. I got a few transcription books, and they didn't make sense. It's like those aren't even the right notes. <laughs> I know that solo. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. not going to play with that. So. Did you start transcribing early on? Yeah. Or even just not writing it down, just playing just by playing ear? Just playing along by ear. Yeah. yeah. Just playing along with Kind of Blue. Mm -hmm. That was probably one of the first records I played along with. And, mm -hmm. and it, was the, it was the wrong pressing. You know, they pressed one that was flat. No, I didn't know yeah. that. The first pressing was they took the tape from the wrong reel to reel or the wrong uh, to quarter inch oh. tape. It was the backup. And they pressed that by mistake, and because everything was live to two track, right? There was no like, oh, we, we just have to put it in Pro Tools. It was right. like, oh, there's the tapes, and it's the wrong pressing. Oh so my I was gosh. playing, and I was like, I must be tone deaf because I can't match this pitch. So, like, how far flat? Uh, like, it's really flat. Not like a quarter. The record step was so flat that I couldn't. I was just like, no, it was more than a quarter. It was like really out. Oh, so when painful. I finally got it on CD, I was like, oh, I guess I'm not that bad of a musician after all. <laughs> Oh and I, I recently found my copy, and it says original copy, original pressing on it. It's mm -hmm. at home. I got to put it on my stereo and remind myself that <laughs> my ears are not that bad. <laughs> that was, that's a twisted story. <laughs> so, okay, so on our way up here to do this interview, we, we crossed paths with uh, Marcus Prentit. Uh, somebody that, is, is that another voice that contemporary voice that you're playing? Is that somebody that uh, you like and listen to? And if not, I can edit that out. No, we play <laughs> together. We've done some gigs together, mm -hmm. Marcus and I. We share the stage in certain mm -hmm. situations. And um, I'd say, you know, he's coming from a different place than I'm coming from. He's got his, his mm -hmm. voice, for sure. Mm -hmm. It's coming out of whatever his influences were when he grew up. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, my palette, I don't, I don't limit myself to just being a jazz player. I, I do a lot of electronica music too. I mm -hmm. do I use pedals. I like to loop. I like to do very minimalist music. Mm -hmm. I like to play classical music. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't do it in public, especially around these people <laughs> <laughs> that actually know what they're doing. But I don't think the trumpet should be limited to a style. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I mean, my favorite musicians are sometimes even country musicians. I grew up in a household with Marty Robbins on record. I mean, mm -hmm. Marty wasn't in the house, mind you. But my dad was a, a fan of Hank Williams Sr. Oh, man. And Such a great vibe. Uh, my sisters had uh, the Eagles and Neil Diamond. Yep. And uh, we also had a set of Arthur Fiedler and the Boston oh, Pops. Oh, yeah. That's a great Very series. eclectic. Yeah. You know, and I, I look back and I, I devoured those records in mm -hmm. all of them. It wasn't like I was, and I think anytime I've played a, a show that's had somebody different than the classical, it's like, wait a minute, I know the style. Yeah. You know, so I'm ever I feel so kind of the same way. We had Boston, ELO, the Bee Gees, you know. Yeah. My mom hated that music, but my friend had it. <laughs> my mom was a jazz purist. Yeah. Jazz purist. So all the music in our house was had to swing or at least be lyrical. <laughs> and uh, Did you have to practice in seclusion sometimes? To <laughs> no, I don't think she really dug my practicing, but she also didn't, she didn't have a problem with yeah. it. My stepfather also was really cool. Because he actually, my mom, when she remarried, she married a principal of a 
who was principal of the three schools in our district. Mm -hmm. And we got to this, we moved from one town to another. And we got there and he's like, Karen, I'm not seeing music programs in these schools. And she said, and I'm very upset about that. Wow. So, so he went to the head of the school district and said, I want band programs in each of these schools. Nice. So grade six and seven, immediately, who had never had band before, all of a sudden we had all these band programs. And jazz, too. Yeah. It was jazz bands. So Where was this? It was in Vancouver, on Vancouver Island. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of cool. And it started a whole wave of, of jazz education in the mm -hmm. schools there. How old were you at this point? Like grade six, grade seven, mm -hmm. like 13, 12, 13. So formal training on trumpet? No. I didn't have a teacher until I was in my mid-20s. Did you develop bad habits? Yep. I have terrible habits. Yeah. Got around the horn somehow. <laughs> you should see pictures of me from then to now. It's like really totally different person. Yeah. I was just talking to Alfonso about this, like the amount of tension that can be in your playing as a result of bad gear and faulty equipment mm -hmm. and out of tune non-resonant materials mm -hmm. can really affect the way things go. Mm -hmm. And I had pretty well the worst gear when I started out and I had no, no direction. And I didn't want to play the trumpet. I wanted to just play trombone. Really? But my sister played trombone and I wasn't allowed. <laughs> so my lovely tenor voice had to adapt to going into more of a stratospheric area. But I could barely play a C consistently when mm -hmm. I was even in second year college, mm -hmm. barely. And I was hearing a lot of other stuff, right? Growing up with Kenny Wheeler yeah. and hearing music, and I was right. really frustrated. So when I got to New York, I moved to New York for about a year in 1990. Mm -hmm. I lived there, eight, late 89, 90, and I studied with Lori Frank. Oh, very nice. And within about seven weeks, I had double G. <laughs> I had consistency and... Was it a matter Sheesh. of fixing equipment or fixing? No, my equipment had graduated by then too. I had a better Bach, mm -hmm. and I had, you know, I figured out that I was playing on a mouthpiece that was too small, and I was getting onto bigger gear. Not still, it was still way too small for what I should do. My horn, my setup is huge now, mm -hmm. but um, it was challenging. You yeah. know, I had a lot of injuries. I had a wrist injury. I had back injuries from all the tension of my playing, and I was very healthy. I was running, and I was mm -hmm. in great shape, but I was in pain. So I found these amazing Chinese healers, this one guy in particular, American guy who studied with all these masters in mm -hmm. China. And he loved working with musicians. Because he was so is this acupuncture or acupuncture? It was acupuncture and Qigong. Yes. And uh, deep tissue massage, Twina, all this like deep craniosacral help. And so he helped heal me. And, in and it all sort of started happening in su succession, right? Mm -hmm. I got better gear, better teacher, better body. Hmm. And, and things really took off. Yeah which is, you know, it's a simple equation, but not, uh, not everyone's yeah, but willing to do up, the work. It makes it that much easier, right, when yeah. everything's working the way it should work. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of times, you know, we're not aware that we need to do the work until we get into an injury situation. Right. It's the same thing with Oops. health. You know, all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm really sick. I guess I should take better care of myself. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't have had that yeah. big bowl of wheat the other day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's why I got a cold. I went to a party. Oh. And my friend made these amazing, delectable African donuts. And I was like, I gotta try one. It turned out to be more <sighs> than one. Uh, I had two. It didn't matter. <laughs> I was already getting sick, but it, it didn't help. So it looks like you're drinking Dr. 
so and so's. Uh, it looks kombucha. like a medicine. I know it looks like a medicine bottle, though. <laughs> it is. It is. It's, yeah. It is. Yeah, they did design these after those old medicine bottles. Yeah, You're right. right. I couldn't see the label. Oh, so that's kind of like, cool. <laughs> she's drinking straight uh, cough syrup. Mm, no, it's kombucha. <laughs> yeah, it's helping me. Yeah. It's good stuff. So uh, a lot of original stuff. You like to play, write your own stuff. Yeah, I write music. I play my music, or I arrange other tunes mm -hmm. of that are in a way, not just like arrangements as in stock arrangements, but putting my mm -hmm. own mark on them, hopefully. So when you say like a uh, Thad Jones tune, you do an arrangement in his style or you do his No, tune no, no, I'll do, I, I, like to, I like the students to experience what he wrote. Because Thad mm -hmm. wrote from the piano. He wrote, he looked at the instrument and he was able to not be such, um, coming from such a place of collegial, theoretical education mm -hmm. it was more like mm -hmm. a vibe mm -hmm. just like miles put a vibe on a note he put a vibe on an orchestration and on a chord and on the way he he wrote the music it's just it's timeless to me it's mm -hmm. his music is timeless and he was one guy i really wanted to study with i didn't get a chance to meet him because he died before i moved to denmark yeah. but when i moved to denmark i got to meet another one of my idols who I didn't know was my idol until I met him, was like Ernie Wilkins, mm -hmm. who, was, who wrote for the Basie Band. And Clark Terry and him were best friends. Mm -hmm. So that was my big in, was get to getting to become friends with Clark, was hanging okay. out with Ernie. Was that the draw to Denmark? No, I just moved there. I have family there. Oh, okay. And I just needed to transcribe, and I needed to get my head out of college. And mm -hmm. I finished college, finished Berkeley, and I just needed to practice. Mm -hmm. So I had this big window of time no job, didn't mm -hmm. want to go back to Canada and be a waitress, so I moved to Europe and practiced, for lived in my aunt's house for free. Yeah. And it was a really great, difficult, but really great time in my life mm -hmm. to, to get a lot of stuff together. How long were you over there? Um, at first I was in Denmark for about three months, then I moved to New York for about a little less than a year, and then I got offered a job in Vienna <coughs> teaching at a conservatory in my early 20s. Mm -hmm. So that was perfect timing because I'd been studying with Lori for a year mm -hmm. and I had learned so much that I also needed time to digest these things she had shown me mm -hmm. that were really, you know, really bringing my face together and helping me play with a lot, you know, a lot more Teaching traditional strength. or jazz or both? I was teaching jazz. Yeah. Yeah, they hired me to teach in the jazz department mm -hmm. and it paid a lot of money. So I was like, I'm getting out of New York. I don't need to be here yet. <laughs> <coughs> which was a great decision on many fronts because mm -hmm. I played, I ended up playing in a lot of situations that I wouldn't get into in New York. Mm -hmm. Some really like avant-garde situations mm -hmm. that were amazing. Contemporary classical, wind ensemble things, funk bands, a lot of jazz. Mm -hmm. I was able to have my own bands mm -hmm. and start touring and be a leader. So it was great, really great time. S uh, so as a band leader, were you playing lead or the jazz book or both? Or? No, I didn't play much lead. Ever, I'm not a. I love to play lead. I'm a. I'm a secret lead player. People, <laughs> people that hear me play lead are like, hmm, "You should do that." I'm like, <laughs> but um, I always was the fourth trumpet player playing solos. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, using electronics. Where did that sneak into your playing, or did it sneak um, in, or did you? Yeah, it snuck in in a very organic way, where I was doing some, um, so, some. A rec my la my record my recording of a leader that I did called At Sea, which was something I did on Artist Share, 
which was a self, one of those, um, you know, kind of, what do you call it? When you do everything on your own on the media self platform. Self-produced, but it was, um, uh, what do you call it? I'm spacing out on the name of how we did this. Just sharing everything through through a, a, a website rather than a label. Mm. So it was all downloads, and there are hard copies too. Mm -hmm. But I had a lot of freedom to do whatever I wanted with that record. Mm -hmm. And so I did some overdubs of things as just for fun. And then I was like, uh-oh, how do I do this live? There's only one of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I had to start figuring out the pedal thing, and yeah. and it became a, its own orchestra now. I really can just take it. I take my pedal board and just orchestrate within whatever's going on. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, you, you said you don't do licks. You take ideas as they come to you. Is that, how do you keep the ideas fresh? I mean, we all have our licks. We all have our, our finger patterns our fingers want to go to on the trumpet. There's only three buttons. How many variations are there, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so for me, because I'm left-handed, uh, my dominant hand is not involved in the mess memory process. Mm -hmm. My right hand is it's its job to be coming up with ideas on the spot, but there's no way I can really remember things when I practice them yeah. in that way. So I'm lucky. I'm actually very lucky that mm -hmm. I have this handicap. Um, I do practice a lot with my a left handicap? hand. You think it's a handicap? To play with your right hand? Yeah. Totally. Or non-dominant hand. Yeah. yeah. It's an absolute handicap in a good way because it just makes... It makes the brain have to work from a place that is not yeah. so easy. Like it's really easy for me to pick up my kombucha well, bottle with my left hand, and, but it's very—it's like, oh, I think I'm going to actually pick it up with my right hand and not drop it. Yeah. Well, and I, I realized that was a silly question on my part because it, those are some of the distractionary techniques I use in my own teaching. You know, if somebody has yeah. trouble with a certain thing, I ask them to play it totally. left-handed, or ask them to stand on one foot because yep. it distracts the other side of the brain yep. long enough to let the other side take care of business. And then you go back to normal and you're like, oh, that's easy. So I guess for me also it's just a choice to, um, by honoring the, the masters that were my mentors, mm -hmm. is to not play their material mm -hmm. <laughs> because they believe that I can come up with my own. Mm -hmm. So why would I let them down and go, oh, yeah, let me just cop Clark Terry over and over. I can channel Clark Terry. And when it happens, it's deep. Yeah. But it's not from a choice of, right. of like, let me come out and put on a show. Predetermined, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. So my way of practicing is very meditative and is always in the way of um, finding a new path, but not starting with a Clark study on beat one mm -hmm. in major. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the last time I played a Clark study or two. <laughs> but uh, not that they're bad. It's just, uh, I think it can be very uh, redundant to, to keep doing the same thing over and over and have absolutely no relation to the music you're about to play. <laughs> and if you want to improvise, it's really going to hold you back. Because <laughs> you've got to be practice imp practicing improvising in the moment of practice right. in order to feel comfortable when it's time to improvise. So for me, there, there's no break between the two. It's it, just it's life. interesting to hear you say that because in a prior interview, uh, was asking a very prominent university professor. Uh, we're talking about the whole warm-up thing, and he's like, why do we bother warming up? Can't we just get to the music? I don't warm up. And, you know, I, I don't know that a lot of people wouldn't go, oh, sacrilege. You know, it's like, it's, it's almost like you're expected to have 
a warm yes. up. What's your Adam routine? routine or the Chickowitz? And you know, I do see certain benefit, especially in younger players, to establish great habits. But you make a great point too, and and those two when are you, you just mentioned play the though. Clark studies in right, the middle right, of a solo. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. When are you going to play that actual pattern? Never. So use it as a guide. And those two you just mm -hmm. mentioned, Chickowitz and Adam. I'm referencing those all the time, but mm -hmm. in relation to accords mm -hmm. and harmony and mm -hmm. rhythm. Those are the elements we need to have flowing when it's time to play. Mm -hmm. So whenever I'm doing any kind of lead pipe thing, it's in relation to a sound and an interval and ear training. We take those for granted, like, oh, I'm going to ear train now and then I'm going to warm up. It's like, <laughs> wouldn't those be the same right. thing? <laughs> in fact, why don't you just not say warm up, just say I'm going to practice music. So what kind of influence did Lori have you on you in, in that regard? Well, actually, that's the full, so I'm now going to be a hypocrite here. She actually gave me the <laughs> discipline that I didn't have. Mm. Really, I'm going to sound like a total hypocrite. I did exactly what she told me to do. I you were a great I student. I didn't mess with anything. I was like, I'm going to do exactly what this woman tells me to do. Because first of all, I've never had a woman teacher, and this mm. is cool. Mm. And second of all, everything she's telling me to do is helping me to organize my process in a way that I never knew how to do. Mm -hmm. I was constantly changing things and, you know, readjusting and like, she's like, be still. So I did exactly what she said to do. Ask me now, whatever, 30 years later, if I do that. No, I do the fun fundamentals of what she was showing me in relation to getting mm -hmm. my ears around whatever I'm about to play. Mm -hmm. So if I'm about to play some really, some, I play some pretty hard music. Some of it's like odd meters, mm -hmm. nine and 13 and seven. Sure. Meters we're not playing as much as we're playing in four mm -hmm. or three. But in New York, it's common. It's like five is more common than four now. <laughs> so why would I do a fundamental study in four, four on right. beat one when I'm going to go play a gig where this drummer's going <laughs> to be playing all these weird subdivisions in five? Right. Isn't that, it's like, it's, it's not going to work. It's not going to help me. So I have to think, and what, being a mom too, I have a very limited amount of time. Mm -hmm. right? So when you have kids, you get more done in less time. And I think there's actually something to that. I want to come back to that, but you talk about odd, odd meter. Are you familiar with the band Rush? Yeah, of course, I well, Rush, are you kidding? But you think about, I mean, they do so much odd meter, mixed meter. I'm Canadian, man. I grew but up there's, Rush. Oh my, what a, what a band. But they do it in a way that you never feel like you're gonna fall or yeah. trip right and you flawless know, but they've been doing that for 40 plus years um and still progressive in a lot of ways yep but you know i just i bring that up simply because it's like you can do that without uh turning people off you can do the mixed meter stuff without turning people off i mean if it grooves if it grooves it, it grooves, grooves and if right? you're feeling it you're feeling it i have a yeah. student from you know, from, from the Slavic countries. And, and we had an ensemble last semester where we didn't play anything in four. <laughs> it was all just mm -hmm. these crazy mixed meters. And he has it so fluid that once we learned the tunes by ear, it was easy. Mm -hmm. It was easy. But mm -hmm. it, when you see it on paper, it's like, oh, my God, that looks so hard. <laughs> I can't do that. See, you know, and that's one of the things I try to teach my own students is don't look at it. Mm -hmm. Listen to it first. Listen to the way. Yeah, look the at the it later. Look at it later. For it's me now, when I look at a speak anyways, yeah, there were you know parents weren't standing over my crib with flashcards teaching right. me how to pronounce things. You know. Right, good point. But yeah, now let's go back to the mom thing. The mom thing. How old? See how, how old my mom and is. Who and I have a daughter. She's eight. Yes. And she's at tennis camp this week. Yeah, very cool. She's having fun. Yeah. And into music at all? 
she's pretty into music. She can uh, she swings when she plays the drums, and she has a really amazing trumpet mm -hmm. bass. So she can just pick up the horn. And cool. She sat in on a gig the other night for the first time on mouthpiece. Oh, no kidding. And it was amazing. <laughs> like, all the musicians in the room were just like, that wasn't cute. That was incredible. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was like, yeah, that was kind of deep. She sat down, and she took a microphone, and she had a mouthpiece, and we just traded. <laughs> I was standing above her and playing, and yeah. and she traded, and we riffed behind the, some solos. And nice. And then she put the mouthpiece down and lay on the floor and fell asleep. <laughs> I wonder if I've ever felt like doing that during the middle of a game. Yeah, right? It's like, yeah, you get to sleep through the second set. I want to lay down, too. Oh, that's she funny. put her face mask on and her unicorn blanket, and that was that. Yeah. So where's home for you right now? You said Westchester? Westchester, New York. And what's the music scene like there? It's awesome. We have a lot of musicians living up in that area. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we all commute to New York and mm -hmm. the local airports to go do our things, mm -hmm. as well as hang out. Mm -hmm. But it's more of a sanctuary. When I get home, I just like to be home. It's my community, a great, mm -hmm. great village community of very interesting people from all walks of life. I've heard a lot of words uh, in the interview. Uh, meditation, be still, calm. These are all things you've said in the last little bit. Your whole posture is chill. Oh, because uh, I'm still recovering from sick <laughs> sickness. But, um, are you are you into meditation? I do when I have time. I do s certain forms of meditation. But um, as I, I was talking to Alfonso about this, it's like really, when you get as busy as I am, the an hour of meditating is not possible. Mm. There's not there's not time for that. At least, except for when I'm on the road, then <laughs> I can then I can have more time. Right? Mm -hmm. Like yesterday, I got to lay on my yoga mat and do some stretches. I haven't had time to do mm -hmm. in a while. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is happening when it's the minute I start playing. Mm -hmm. When I put the horn to my face, I get myself into a, a space that is mm -hmm. meditative, I guess you could say, mm -hmm. focused. Mm -hmm. I'm not thinking about a lot of other stuff. If it come, if something urgent comes to mind, I get it off my mind by well, writing, writing it down and then getting back in that space. Of mindfulness is the is the key word today, but it's a good, yeah. it's a good word. But it's I mean, a good word. Mindfulness, staying focused. staying focused, listening. People don't listen very well anymore because of technology. What do you mean by that? Um, I mean, in this podcast, I hope they're listening, but I bet there's people that, now that I'm bringing this up, are probably looking at their phones and checking their Facebook and their Instagram or looking at the TV or... Passive listening. Passive listening, yeah. Like, not yeah. fully involved and fully engaged. Mm -hmm. And, of course, this is recorded, so it's secondary material, but I'm talking about in the live moment. Mm -hmm. What really happens, what really makes music work for mm -hmm. me is when everyone's engaged. And the whole audience is like in it. They're on mm -hmm. stage in the middle of the stage with me. And then everyone in the band as well is, is there. Right. And so that's changed. In the, it's changing the music. We have no choice but to adapt mm -hmm. to it. It's like climate change. We've got to adapt. But at the same time, I think if we have this discussion as teachers and we can get mentor these young minds mm -hmm. and older minds mm -hmm. to stay on that that straight and narrow third eye track, I call it when I'm teaching my mm -hmm. students. Third eye. Don't worry about. Don't worry about anything right now. Just keep your, right. your eyes forward and your ears open and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And that's a scary place to go to. Not everybody can do it. All of a sudden, things 
start to make their way into your chatty brain that you have to deal with, and especially those trumpet players. There's this whole neurotic level of of detail. That oh, right, like we need other things to yeah. <laughs> distract us. Anyways. We need less is what we need. Yeah. So. Well, you know, think back to the days of magazines and newspapers. It was like when it was time to practice, you turned off the newspaper because you see where you had to do this. Right. I mean, it wasn't like you constantly picked it up or yeah. you're, I don't know, maybe some people are reading while they're, they're, they're doing things, but boy, it's, uh, it's like, can you binge watch Netflix and get through your routine at the same time? It's pretty sad. And how productive is that going to be in the long run, right? Yeah. But yeah, it's a... So maybe that's my way of incorporating electronics into my music. <laughs> <laughs> it's a start, but you might want to just get some pedals and start looping and yeah. get into those rush moments. Well, actually, one thing I did with uh, at a quintet, we've, it's, it's done, uh, but we did classic rock covers. Oh, fun. And uh, I did all the guitar solos. Yamaha Silent nice. Brass through a digital guitar pedal. Excellent. So, and my goodness, some That's of those fun, guitar huh? solos are hard. Yeah. And you have to articulate the way your band director and trumpet teachers told you never to That's articulate. That's a great idea. Right? It was a blast. Yeah. Um, it just was a matter of, uh, you know, there's a lot of things involved. Is this on tape? It. I want to hear it. Uh, I've, there's, we have a, a five tune, I guess it's an album, five tunes out on... Uh, iTunes. Can you send me a reminder? Sure, I'd be happy to. Yeah. I'd love to hear it. I, I'm not thrilled with the first recording. I don't think anybody's ever thrilled with their first. No. Oh, we could have done I didn't listen better. to my first done. record for five years. Oh, but, you know, but people hear it and they're like, oh, this sounds great. And they're like, oh, cringe, cringe, cringe. <laughs> more, yeah. more work to be done. Stepping back and appreciating. Learning, learning gratitude is another part of being a healthy trumpet player. Oh. Learning to be gracious and say, yeah, thank you, even though I know I could have done better. Welcome to the middle of the episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is brought to you with the support of Messina Covers. They offer some standard and custom designs of trumpet bags, mouthpiece pouches, and more. And their customer service is excellent. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And now, back to the interview. You know, but I've, I've been, Vince DiMartino was my first teacher. There's never, I've never had anybody as encouraging. And I've been so grateful mm -hmm. to have had him along, you know, the, my journey with this. But uh, there are a lot of people, I think, I've been very fortunate that have taught me the gratitude. It's like, there's, are you kidding? We get to take our horn out of the case every day I know. and do what we do. I get paid for it. How awesome. Not for this one, but. Yeah, well, <laughs> but, but most of the time, right? Most of the time. Most of the time. It's all worth it. Yeah. yeah. I get to, whatever I get to do is my choice. Yeah. So let's go back. Um, the difference between what you sounded like however far ago and what you sound like now. How have you, what do you perceive as it has evolved in your playing? Uh, I mean, I'm a constant student there's no, I'm never done learning more things mm -hmm. so that's helpful <laughs> you know having mm -hmm. an open mind and an attitude to different perspectives on how to play the instrument um, I was pretty stuck on playing my medium Bach for a long time I was like this is my sound <laughs> and a very small mouthpiece and when Dave Monette slapped the biggest mouthpiece he had on in the shop on my horn and then I went oh there's 50% more of my voice wow <laughs> then I knew that I was wrong, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> holding sure. on to my old sentimental gear. Sure. I knew I, I was like, well, there's no 
question about how easy it is to get to more ideas and more facility and more range and all the things Lori showed me just kicked in and yeah and a lot of things that were you know physics being held back by the physics mm. of my setup mm -hmm. um, came clear became mm -hmm. much clearer mm -hmm. it wasn't like I needed a monet horn I just needed a bigger mouthpiece mm -hmm. are you so playing a monet? I, yeah I am now mm -hmm. away I went and for another couple of years I was just you know so happy to have this <laughs> less tension in my life and be mm -hmm. able to just play more music kind of want to be a saxophone player anyways at this point. I always wanted to be a saxophone player, to have that facility to play I all over the hood. you to be a trombone player. I did. With a trom I want to be a saxophone player with a trombone sound on a trumpet. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so a lot of my teachers at Berkeley were saxophone players, yeah. one in particular, George Garzon. So a lot of these crazy lines I was playing, I couldn't really ever complete. Yeah. And then I got the Monette set up with the mouthpiece, and I was like, oh, they're longer than they were. This is good. Those nice. ideas. I'm playing higher and louder and, you know, longer. Well, and then the freedom, the right, freedom, to yeah. do, to get those ideas out. Yeah. And actually have them sound the way you want them to sound, right? And frankly, Larry, I'd be perfectly happy just to continue playing on that setup. And then it just happened that he built a horn that he thought I would like. He's like, I think you're going to like this horn. It wasn't built for you, but it was built for someone else who's very famous, <laughs> and then they don't want it. So I went and test drove it. And played at a jam session with my friend who's a very loud drummer, mm -hmm. but great, great drummer, very loud. Mm -hmm. And I always felt lost playing with him. And after the gig, he was like, Ing, you never sounded better. <laughs> I was like, dude, I can play another three hours on this thing. Nice. And I didn't, hadn't even done the work yet on how to play the mm -hmm. instrument, because mm -hmm. that takes some time. So that was, that was a big transition for me to where I am now, mm -hmm. clearly. I mean, I, I, it's, not, it's not the horn, it's the work that's done that got me to graduate to that horn is how I feel like, feel the way it worked for me. Yeah, but if, you know, you had to get across town and somebody gave you a, uh, a stick shift VW bug that, you know, you have to grind the gears. Or Which they, I would like because I drive or, a stick. Or, or they give One you, of the well, last people on earth that drives a stick. Oh, I love driving. I learned how to drive a stick. So uh, great. Uh, three, uh, what do they call it, in the three in the tree? Yeah. Right? And, oh, I can't do that. My husband could do that. That's uh, crazy. But... Uh, or, uh, or what's my alternative? Um, Tesla. A brand new Tesla? Yeah. So yeah, those are pretty nice. You know, I mean, what's going to be a little bit easier to get get going and get Probably the Tesla. And it's easier on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just so freaking cool. Although I'd have to say, you know, the VW Bug is classic. I mean, it, it's character. Maybe Tesla should could build a car with that. that I body. did see a really hilarious thing recently where there was, uh, they redid the VW van, you know, the hippie van. Oh, my wife you go and wants smoke one pot of those. in. Yeah. And they redid it as, as a um, hybrid. No way. I don't know if it's true, if it was a joke, but if it's true, I think oh. I might, that might be my next car. My wife is, she's like, I want one of those. The retro. Yeah, the retro vans. Everyone and, still and, loves and them. And they don't go away. these campers that look like the, the, I think she called it a silver bullet. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so cool. But I've seen some of that <laughs> stuff come back around. So. Yeah, I'd take the Tesla, though. Yeah. So do you have anybody approaching you like, hey, I want you to play my horns. I want you to. Not yet. I have been staying away from that. The, yeah. the wear peddlers. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not close-minded about any of this. I'm a teacher. I want my students to have affordable, good gear. Mm -hmm. So I'll probably have to go and test drive a bunch of things here. But there's no. In my life right now, it's, it would be a crazy decision to to put down what is working. And oh is, yeah. As that I'm connected to. Yeah. Like I pick up my horn and it's like. 
It's all there, even when it's dirty and I'm upset. Last mm-hmm. night, my horn was dirty and I'm sick, and it hasn't been to the shop in a couple of years. And it still was like, fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No worries here. And the sound was sabotaged. So if those factors are working, there's no reason for me to waste time searching for yeah. something new. Yeah. And there's nothing better out there anyway, so I already know it. Well, you know, okay, so to be fair, I will say um, there's a lot of great stuff out there. I mean, a lot of people have built some really fantastic I'm sure. horns. But there's nothing and better for me. Yes, I understand. <coughs> I'm just saying, you know, it, it used to be we could only count on, you know, Bach and Yamaha. Yeah. Maybe. But, oh, my gosh. There's yeah, there's some great, great horns. equipment out there. There really is. And as an educator, I want to know what it is so I can yeah. advise my students what an affordable horn is so yeah. that they can get to that place, too, yeah. and not be playing out-of-tune wonky gear. So let's talk about your students for a second. What uh, what levels in... Master's students, mostly. At what university? Uh, Manhattan School of Music. Mm-hmm. How long have you been there? I'm going into my second year. Mm-hmm. And then I have other students at Purchase College who are from master's to freshman mm-hmm. who I mold. And are these specifically jazz students? Yeah. 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 And I teach a composition class and a couple ensembles. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, you know, uh, when you're listening to auditions, bring somebody new into your studio at that level. Um, maybe not at the at the graduate level, but uh, you know sometimes, often, students come into college with some issues plan yeah. wise. Yeah. Are you addressing those? Or are you a little more selective and maybe bringing somebody in that's that doesn't have those issues? You can get right to the. I choose. The, I I tend it. to choose the ones that have. Um, that are struggling and that have a voice underneath all that struggle. Mm. Those are the ones I lean towards. The ones that wow, are going to be fine. Like you, right? It sounds like you, the way you uh, Well, they are the ones that are deserving. You can never tell who the, the little rough diamonds are until they get a chance to be mm-hmm. put in a, a position where someone can straighten them out. I did an audi- had a kid audition the other day. It was an audition. It was, it was, it was like uh, juries, mm-hmm. and there was a student who wasn't one of my students. And I just had to go up to and do something, a little adjustment to his horn. After he played, he played one tune, and he was really good. He's a really burning young mm-hmm. player, amazing. But it was so much tension. And the whole panel was there, Stefan Harris, everybody from the school. And I said, you guys, do you mind if I do this? And they're like, go for it. <laughs> I said, I want you to play the same tune again. And everybody was just like, they sat up in their <laughs> chairs. And he was just like, his eyes opened. He's like, why is this so easy? Because I pushed your slide in, I tightened your horn, you're still in tune. (laughs) It's just not that difficult. You have to know physics to play this instrument. You have to know the physics of it. So why set yourself up to be all cool and flat and with a soft sound when you can have a resonant sound and play your ideas? Mm -hmm. So it was a simple tweak. Mm -hmm. And I sound very cocky when I say it, but I'm just like, I've had it with watching people that are great musicians put themselves at a disadvantage when they don't need to. Yeah. I've had it. I'm like, I know too much now. It's not yeah. fair. Yeah. I'm a big fan. I don't know if this has any direct relation. Big fan of Nozzle Brass, the Austrian group. The oh, yeah. Thomas those guys Gunch. are oh, amazing players. And, and I describe their playing as they blow, every one of them blows straight down the pipe. Yeah. And it's not an American sound that people like. Sometimes yeah. it's pretty raw and yeah. it's out there. But oh my gosh, the energy, yeah, amazing. the excitement in the sound. I'm thinking, why don't we, why don't we ascribe to that here? Is there, is there, do we have to have the fluffy, dark, mellow sound? I mean, it's great sometimes, but you know. I think we should be able to do it all. 
man. Well, there's times to sound like Chet Baker, and there's times to sound like Louis Armstrong, and there's times to sound like which is why if you had been in a concert Jensen. last night, you would have known you know? what everyone else was talking about. Because <laughs> that's what we did. Yeah. Well, we and to be fair, light. I'll say this on the record. It wasn't my fault. I wasn't I there. Know. I'm going to blame No, no. Because if the luggage airline and luggage losers hadn't screwed things up. Well, there's yeah. probably a recording out there. I'm sure somebody bootlegged yeah. it. But it was, you know, that's kind of, to me, a good concert is when you can provide the whole spectrum of the sounds available. Yeah. From mutes to free to the whole... The whole thing. I'm going to respect your time. Thank you. And my it's more about my energy right now. I'm at the no, end of this cold, I, I, and this has been great, though, you know, talking to you. Well, thank you so much for the time. And, I mean, didn't know you from Adam. You didn't know me. But thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to, to chat with you. And I'll let you know when this comes out. Sounds great. Um, you know, I'm building the podcast. and That's uh, awesome. Get some listenership out there. But uh, I think we need something like this. It's very healthy. Well, it's a lot of fun, too. But why do you call it Higher, Louder, Faster? Studio HFL. I just needed a name. Oh. I, you know, and it's like... Oh, it should be HFLC. Higher, Faster, Louder, Cooler. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the next iteration of, you know, whatever evolution. So. Yeah. But then I'll I also, have to pay I also played some. <laughs> I also played some notes that were not very high last night. I play because my Monet's so open, I can play down to E's and D's on it. Oh yeah. And so when I play lines, they actually go off the horn. Yeah. Um, so maybe it could be called higher, faster, louder, cooler, well, and sometimes lower. Now, say so, okay. So I did interview. Um, everybody's been a trumpet player to this point, except one trombone, one horn. Okay. So I did have to change higher, faster, louder to higher, faster, lower for the mm. trombone player. So it could okay. be interpreted. Or for uh, me, higher, faster, mid-range, and maybe some more. And for horn players, it would be higher, flubbed it. <laughs> higher, flubbed well, it, hate uh, myself. Yeah. <laughs> Still got the gig. Still got the gig. Because <laughs> <laughs> so. there's not enough of us out here. Yeah. Well, I want to get a French horn. You just reminded me. I want to get a French oh, horn. Oh, sax? You need to find something that's a combination of a sax, trombone, trumpet, and horn then. Yeah. Somebody will build Somebody will build that. All right. Well, we'll okay. finish there. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to today's interview. I hope you enjoyed your time here, and please come back for more interviews. Be sure to share the news of this podcast with friends and colleagues, and give me a rating on whatever platform you get your podcast from. Thanks again to Messina Covers for co-sponsoring this podcast. Don't forget that you, too, can be a supporter. Check out how at www.patreon.com slash studio hfl and one more reminder that you can sign up to receive news via email regarding new episodes merchandise and more by going to palmusic.net and clicking on the subscribe to newsletter link thanks again for listening and i hope you come back for more great interviews